the Tea Health Show, medical lifestyle show. This is the Tea Health Show. I'm Chris Avon Smith, and in studio with me, I have Dr. Mark and Dr. Vivian. Today, we're talking about man boobs in all its glory. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Mark. Right, how are we doing today? Let's get straight into this topic. So, you know what? We we have a very interesting guest uh, with us, Vivian. You've been a, a colleague from of mine for many years and a good friend. We're talking about gynecomastia, but before we go there, um, Viv, you're a plastic and reconstructive surgeon in private practice. How did you get there? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, at the moment I'm in private practice in Pretoria, in the eastern suburbs of Pretoria. Um, I'd say my practice about 70% cosmetic and 30% reconstructive. And I've had a longish career. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done all sorts of different things. So I've, um, I've worked at the university. I've been involved in research. I've been involved in teaching. Actually, teaching is one of my big passions. Um, I was working at Safako Makato Health Sciences University for about five years from about 2012 till 2017 and only worked in private part-time and then got a little burnt out and went back to my own hood. I like being my own boss. Sounds good to me always. (laughs) So um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago. I think it was three weeks ago we had Dr. Debbie Norwell. Okay. Um, That was on the show with us. And you were the president of APRASA. So what we spoke about with Debbie was the different societies that are in the medical fraternity. Just tell us a little bit about APRASA and what they do. So APRASA is the Association of Plastic, Reconstructive and Aesthetic Surgeons of South Africa. So it's our our body of members that are all qualified plastic surgeons. It's not what gives you your qualification. That's an exam through the Colleges of Medicine of South Africa. But it's an association that you choose to belong to, but you can't just belong. You've got to apply to belong, and you've got to be almost um, proposed and seconded by more senior members. And basically it's to use who get together to uphold the standards and the integrity of the profession. Right. And then from a price of that, most of the people, some of the people from a price of Belongs to ISAPS, yes, which is which the, is an international body. Yes, that's the uh, an international body which focuses on aesthetic plastic surgery. I'm also a member of that, so it's the International Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons. And then there's some of us that are also have affiliations with the American Society of Plastic Surgery as well. Um, so there's a, a heck of a lot of world collaboration. What's very exciting in plastic surgery at the moment is that there's even a a body called Icoplast, which is the International Confederation of Plastic surgery societies and they do amazing things in education they um so they're represented across across the world um with webinars and training for registrars for people in training so the world's i think with COVID, the world's just become such a smaller place and so much more accessible yeah and we've all got to meet so many more new people in a way we don't because we can't travel so we've you know we we got to meet people that way and it's actually been awesome Okay, so let's fall into the topic that we chose today, um, gynecomastia. And for, for the people that don't know what that is, give us a definition. Well, I think gynecomastia is the presence of an excessive amount of breast tissue in a male physique. Okay, so for for... To dumb it down even more, man, man boobs, boobs, <laughs> or man, man boobs, man yes. boobs. Yeah. Okay. Now, Vivian, this is something that um, is quite prevalent, um, and I see it a lot in my practice with guys who are using testosterone. Right. Why specifically do we see it in? Gym guys, because you know, it, I I always associated man boobs with older fat people. Yeah, but I, I mean, just I think I've got moobs, right? And uh, if unless I'm working out constantly and and uh, working my pecs, 
I sag. I have heavy breast tissue. Um, if I put on weight, I, I mean, I feel I lead a bra some of the time. You know, so so I and that's how I feel about it. You you know, so I'm not sure if it is or isn't, but but it's the feeling that that I have, and I'm always very self conscious about my upper body. Right. I think, Mark, you're right. It is commoner in older men, and I'm certainly you, you as a owner, founder, and guru of the tea clinic. I'm certainly not going <laughs> to start telling you your job, but it's that estrogen testosterone ratio that changes as you get older. Yeah. So that's where we see the most common yeah. thing. The young guys, that's a lot of, not all, but a lot of the young guys who come with a real big problem, it's the use of the anabolic steroids in the gym. Yeah. That leads to that. Yeah. And sometimes even if you treat them, they go back at some stage mm. to the, um, to, to using them and then they, um, the man boobs come back. I remember seeing a patient and discussing his surgery with him and saying to him that if he doesn't stop using the steroids, he'd stopped for a while, um, or he was going to stop, yeah. Mm. And I said to him, if you don't, if you don't, if you go back, it'll cool come back again. And he said to me, I'm just, I just love the high I get from that. I'm actually, I'll live with my man boobs. Sure. And didn't come for his treatment. I understand that because I have patients in my practice that's exactly the same. Um, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, but the effects of testosterone on the brain is far bigger than what we think it is. Um, the effect that it has on anxiety, depression, on performance, on cognitive function, motivation, drive, energy, um, is, is incredibly far reaching. Um, I, I sometimes warn my patients and I tell them, you know, you need to know when you start with testosterone, it's addictive because the moment that you start so, no, let me refresh. The moment when you stop, right. you start realizing just how great the effect of testosterone is. Um, behaviorally, I find testosterone phenomenal. Most of my patients that bring their spouses in tell me that he's a nicer person to be around because there's no longer mood swings. Um, he's more attentive, he's more loving, he's more caring. And that was always what we thought testosterone didn't do. Yes. What I find is that you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. Um, it's that testosterone estrogen ratio. The moment that the ratio between testosterone and estrogen goes out the window, you, we start with aggression, irritability, mood swings, um, and the sex drive drops, the libido drops, mm. uh, and we start getting erectile dysfunction. And it's estrogen-related. It's not testosterone. Now, let's stop there because we, we know that we need estrogen, especially in men. A lot of men don't know this, but we have – we need estrogen. Estrogen protects us from cardiovascular disease. Think about it logically. You do not see women who have heart attacks before the age of menopause. It's, it's quite uncommon. Right. But the moment that they go through menopause, their risk of cardiovascular disease jumps to equal those of mm. men. Yes. Um, so estrogen is there to protect us from cardiovascular disease. It also is incredibly important in bone mineralization. So, those two factors. Now, there's a lot of guys that will go to gym and that will be put onto something by a trainer and they would be giving an aromatase inhib uh, inhibitor or an estrogen blocker. For those people out there, that's okay, but let's spark. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Um, okay. <laughs> I've learned something. <laughs> so, you know, for me, the damage is done there. You know, these are people that do not understand anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology, and the interaction between all four of those. Um, so it's, it's what, whatever they're doing is actually criminal. It is criminal because they're giving prescription medication, which they're not allowed to. Um, but let's go back. I, I showed you, um, a young, 
case, um, this is a 13-year-old boy, and we see these um, more often, I think, lately, um, with significant gynecomastia in my eyes. Uh, you saw it now. What would be the reason for someone so young who is not an athlete, who's not taking anabolic steroids to develop something like gynecomastia? I think it's largely that can also just be genetic. I was and a going lot to the, ask, is, it, is there a congenital It component? can be, because quite often, I'm, I'm sure, Mark, you've seen in your practice that you investigate people for all the common causes of gynecomastia and come up with nothing. Yeah. And so it's that um, you've kind of got to you've got to investigate it before you're sure that it hasn't got another cause. But I agree that in a 13-year-old, it's very unlikely. Although I know in some of the schools they are passing. I mean, that patient you showed me the picture of certainly doesn't look like that kind of um, candidate. But I know that these gym trainers are giving high school mm. boys a lot of steroids, um, and it's quite rife. Sort of your first team rub- first team rugby guys and people like that. Are almost yeah. routinely taking that stuff. Yeah, I know in, in schools like St John's and um, St Stidian's, they do random drug testing. Yes, um, on for steroids. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's, it, it, they should be doing that. Yeah. So, um, the, you let's touch on the causes of gynecomastia. Um, you know. In broad terms, certain medication obviously mm-hmm. can cause um, gynecomastia. Um, as we said, anabolic steroids, genetics, any other any other big causes? Well, things like cymetidine that people are on, tra- on treatment for for ulcers can cause gynecomastia. That's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, and and, and neither did I. I mean, that's that's crazy. And. Um, I did hear, and this might be a fallacy, but, but if you're on a certain antidepressants and, and maybe the older generation antidepressants. Yes, I think that's possible. And also, I don't know if it's true, people say that if you smoke marijuana. Oh, no. <laughs> the devil's lettuce. Yo. <laughs> I also heard about mountain cabbage. Devil's lettuce is the new. It's a new courtesy term. my daughter, <laughs> who's 21. So, okay. Um, that's a new yeah, one for me. New. Okay. So, um, any, any other causes in. We know we get. Uh, I mean, your testicular tumors and anything okay. that causes a hormone imbalance. You so, would that would be more your department, Mark. So when we go and we look at complications of gynecomastia, the first thing that comes to my mind is: is this associated with breast cancer? And is there a higher association with guys who have? Mm, Overt gynecomastia and breast cancer. But there's a very, very slight increase in the incidence of breast cancer in people with gynecomastia, okay. but it's really not great. So it's not that important. It's probably so, related. So it's to not if you've got gynecomastia. So you'll develop breast breast cancer. If right. you look at the meta-analyses, you'll see that there's a slightly increased incidence. So we're talking about like one percent or right. something. Right. And it's possibly related to the more breast cells you have, the more of them can actually mutate. Absolutely. It's probably something simple like that. But there isn't there isn't really a direct link between breast cancer and gynecomastia. That's very good. That's that makes me feel a lot better. I must be I must be honest. But I'm glad you brought it up because male breast cancer is something that does happen. And we know a lot of More guys think not. a lot of guys think that it's it's something that happens only to women. Yeah. So yeah. an abnormal lump, something that you feel it's changed, definitely is worth having it looked at. I want I want us to stand still there for a moment because I think very few guys realise that there is something like male breast mm. cancer, and it's just as serious um, as as. Breast cancer in women Does it also And this is not my department Does it also vary um, That you have estrogen receptors And So it Mm. The workup would be the same um, For for a man with a a Breast lump Yes um, As it is for women So they would have an ultrasound The lesion would biopsy Or they would take some fluid off and do cytology So it would be investigated in exactly the same way as if it was 
on a woman. Okay. Now, um, I always say to my patients, if you're in the shower and you're not playing with either your balls or your boobs, you're not doing a good job of showering. Mm. So for <laughs> guys, it's, sure. you know what, now you have to play with your balls and your boobs, not either or. Sure. Um, you know what, for me, it's, it's about the only way that you know what's normal is if you feel every single day, then you will mm. recognize something abnormal very quickly. But if you, if you don't know, oh, is this really my breast or is it my nipple? You know what? Yeah, what's you, that you, hard you, thing? What, why has is it, it always the been nipple? there? Um, so it's, it's about self-exploration and self-knowledge, you know. Well, I think, in the women's realm, one's re- it's always recommended to do a monthly be- breast self-examination, and one's taught how to do that. So I think you're trying to have far too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> well. Well, I mean, you know, for certain guys, especially if you do have gynecomastia, it could help. <laughs> feel your balls and feel your boobs. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, come on, guys. It's like killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> okay, I think I've just broken the, the panel. That was uncalledable. I was the quiet one. Con- consummate lady, thank you very much. We need it. Okay, so if we suspect... Gynecomastia. Yes. What is what are the clinical signs? What are mm. what are the signs that the patient would would see? Well, first of all, I think you'd see an increase in breast tissue. And how most guys first notice it is they start feeling very uncomfortable because it, apparently it's a big thing to walk around without your shirt, yes. to be able to go to a beach, to be in a changing room at the gym and stuff like that. And they start looking and seeing that they've got excess breast tissue and they start to become really shy. Yeah. So that you find the guys are wearing a T-shirt all the time. There are people even sort of almost binding their breasts when they get really big. Cause Absolutely. They, um, and it's, it's the psychological impact is phenomenal. It's really, and I think that's the biggest thing that causes people to seek treatment is that they feel shy, embarrassed, loss of self-esteem. I think there's a very fine line where you think, oh, I've got nice pectoral definition into actually it's not. And, 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 you, 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 and I think for guys, you know, especially I'm talking guys who gym a bit and that, that sort of thing, they, they look at the, the pectoral and they see, okay, they've got that pectoral def- definition, but then it, it, it does change and there's a very subtle difference and there's, there's a softness th- yeah. that, that comes in actually. So it's not that hardened muscle look. There's a softness. So you might have the shape for a while before it starts getting bigger, but, then, then it's soft and it's, it's, it's not pecs. I think a lot of men have got a very mild form and they, they often don't know there's something that can be done about it and they just hide in the shirt or they'll take off their shirt but never feel completely comfortable. Yeah. Cause many of my pe- well, I can think of quite a few patients who've come to me for surgery over the years who actually sort of had the, Sort of courage or decided to do something about it 10, 15 years after it first started to bother them. So it's mm. not something that somebody comes and sorts out in two months after they've noticed something. It's quite interesting because there is a bit of a, <coughs> almost a stigma attached to it. So sure. people are a little bit shy to come chat about it. So a question that I get quite often is sensitivity. Um, sensitivity to the to the nipple area or a small little spot that is that gynecomastia or not? No, I wouldn't say that's gynecomastia. By definition, it's an extra amount of tissue and the tissue could be, and this is where the treatment gets interesting because the tissue can be, um, Hard nubbin of breast tissue. I think most guys, if you felt under the areolas, would feel that there's that hard there's nubbin of nub, that's, yeah. Yeah. which is normal. So some people's entire breast feels like that. Some people, it's a combination of, some of people, it's just fat. Right. And some people, it's got a lot of fibrous strands running through it. So it's predominantly fat with a bit of breast tissue. So there's a concept of what is it that's making the extra. And then the other component is, 
is there extra skin or not extra skin? Mm. Ah, okay. So let's go one step back. What causes fat sensitivity? Uh, Chris, I don't know whether you suffered from this uh, when you went through puberty. I know my brother did. Very sensitive nipples. I, it was stonies. stonies Sto- in, in, yeah. in I suffered terribly from stonies. Well, is that a form of gynecomastia or not? No, I wouldn't say so. So is it just Painful. a sensitivity caused by um caused by the um <laughs> if you could see the hand signals going on in the studio, it's fantastic. I'm a surgeon. I don't know these things. <laughs> You're a butcher, let's face it. Go and ha- slice them and dice them. <laughs> I'm a highly qualified manual laborer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is it, do you think then that, that sensitivity that guys perce- uh, not perceive that they have during, um, puberty is just breast Tissue or is it what is what is is irritating the nervous system? You know, I'll have to be honest with you and tell you I have no idea. It's not these are not patients I tend to see, mm. so I, d- mm. I really it's not my field, and I'd be making up an answer, which okay. would um, so, not be sorry, cool. guys. I also can't answer that one. Um, Maybe you will... get an endocrinologist on the show. That's a very good idea. We'll we'll and look could, for one. You could you could you could pick up on that kind of thing. Yeah. That, that's the kind of person who would know really right. know a lot more about that. Okay, so let's move over, Vivian, to possible treatment modalities. Yeah. When do we start treating these people? Because you know, it, as a young boy. Um, you know, but going into puberty and now you're going into high school and there's sports mm. to be played and, um, you know, kids are cruel and teachers are cruel and your parents are cruel because, uh, you know, it, well, they're I, just parents. That's why they're cruel. Um, why, when, when do we start looking at exploring the possibility of treatment and what would the different treatment modalities Intel and and sorry, just to just to add on to that, I, I mean a lot of guys go through that puppy fat stage where you 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 know you've still got that kitty fat w- with you while you sort of going through puberty, and it takes a while for that to go, and and you are heavier and that sort of thing. Yeah, and when you hit forty, it all comes back. Yeah, and by the time you're seventy, you look like a baby again. <laughs> Sure, it's a lot to look forward to. Um, Chris, Chris, you've brought up a very important point that is actually very common in the high school years, and it's very common in that puberty phase where you're changing from a child to a man. Mm. And in all the textbooks, they always say that the majority of gynecomastia resolves on its own. That's very important. Okay. So small, only a small proportion ever come for treatment. Right. Okay. Um, treatment modalities? Good. I think... If you look at treatment modalities, you're looking at um, there have been people who've used like estrogen blockers and things like that, sort of a medical treatment, but that's not like standard practice. I think if you're looking at treatment, you're looking at mainly surgical treatment. Right. And then your choice of surgical treatment is it's very difficult in a guy because the whole point is he wants to walk around without a shirt on the beach. So the last thing you want to do is leave him with scars. Yeah. So the whole aim of the game is to sort out the problem with the least amount of scarring as pro- as possible. But that depends on what the problem is. And that's why there's not a one size, one operation fits all for everyone. Right. So to take the simplest example would be the person whose gynecomastia wasn't very extreme and was quite soft. Yes, not that knob of tissue that's under the areola, that's normal. But if the tissue was quite soft, then most of the tissue is fat. And then it's possible through quite small little cuts on the side to actually liposuction that fat out. I was going out. to ask, can you liposuction? You can liposuction. Right. And what's good, and about, and what's good about guys is that their skin quality is really good, especially on the anterior chest. So if you look at liposuction in general, half of liposuction is removing the fat the other half of liposuction is the skin retracting into position. Yes. And that's where the guys have got the 
I'll get the first prize for that because their skin tends to retract. And quite a lot of patients who get treated youngly, young with softer breasts might even need two or three procedures right. over, the, over a period of time with each time the skin retracting. And then you end up with four millimeter scars on each side of the chest or on the side in the axilla, on the side of the wall of your chest sorry i'm expressing it badly i'm pointing at places <laughs> that you can't see and um and there you've sort you've sorted out your problem right so that'll only work if it's predominantly um fatty tissue a lot of times the fatty tissue's got a lot of like fibrous bands in it so when you try and liposuck it it's really difficult so then one might try something like laser assisted liposuction where you'd be able to get more of that fibrous bands and break them down to be able to get your fatty tissue out. But unfortunately, there's a group of patients that when you examine them, their breasts are hard and you can actually feel that that's hard breast tissue and no amount of liposuction is going to remove that. And then you're going to have to look at the options for various surgical procedures. So that's your one thing. It's the contents. What are we dealing with? Mm, mm. And then the other thing is the skin and what does the skin look like? So guys are really lucky. Their skin retracts really well. Um, Unless they smoke or have those sort of things, even when even then when they smoke, they just generally their skin better. retracts better, okay. and the chest area is a very good area for retraction. If you look at areas around the body, some areas after liposuction retract better than other areas. So, for instance, under your chin is really brilliant; it almost always goes back. Maybe the abdomen's not such a good place. No. So there's also a difference in that. And then one has to look at what we call the envelope. So that's the skin that's around. So if it's just the contents, one can usually remove with quite minimal amount of scarring. Um, but if you have a lot of excess skin, there's various um, procedures that can be done that one has to actually remove some of the skin as well. So <clears throat> is there a... Um Relation between obesity and gynecomastia. Yes, definitely. I mean, if you pick up weight, if you're if you're generally overweight, you're going to be overweight, and you have a tendency, depending on the receptors that you have on your fat cells, you, some people have a tendency to pick up weight in their breasts as well. And that's when sometimes we also get the problem with guys that have been very overweight, have lost weight, and then have saggy, saggy, boobs. saggy boobs that are predominantly skin and not really breast tissue mm. anymore. So there's that problem as well, which I suppose is not true gynecomastia, but it's also a can't wear my shirt on the beach problem. It's a man boob. It's a man that boob problem. Really is a man boob. boob yeah. yeah. While we're talking about that, can, can I jump in a little bit? Because one of the big problems with some friends of mine, they have enormous areolas, ugly nipples, you, you, you know, and, and what can I say? But, but it's, it's, we, we're talking about the, the beach bod here. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, some guys have really, Large, and I'm talking like the old 50 cent piece size areolas, if not bigger, and and um, sort of ugly or very extended nipples and that sort of thing. And it's not it's not good looking. And it, those people, or th- those guys, also have a beach bod phobia. That's relatively easy to remedy because usually, if your areolas are big and your nipples are a little bit larger. To do a nipple reduction and an areola reduction would mean at most a scar around the edge of the new areola. So a male areola is usually not longer than three centimeters in diameter, whereas women's are more like four to five centimeters. And that's not, that's, if it, there isn't an excess skin surrounding it, that's not a, that's almost like a day procedure. That's not really such a big procedure. In a lot of women who had breast reconstruction, Something like that It's sometimes very difficult to put the areola back Viv. Am I right or is that uh, Do I have that wrong Sorry, Because do, do you mean breast reconstruction after cancer Or do you mean breast reduction for big breasts Sorry Mark what you Either doing? one is there a big difference between the two? There's a very big difference okay. between a breast reconstruction after a mastectomy and a breast reduction to make your breast smaller. So the breast reduction to make your breast smaller, usually one's able to, because if you can imagine um, a woman's breasts that want to be made smaller, you've got to remove some breast tissue and you've got to remove some skin. Yeah. So if you could imagine 
Now the nipple and areola needs its blood supply and it needs its nerve supply. That's the difficult part. So what happens is you aren't taking away all the breast tissue. So you leave the nipple areola on the bre- on a part of the breast tissue, which then gets designed in a certain way that it keeps its blood supply. We call that a pedicle. And then you move that around to create the new breast shape. So for a breast reduction, it's not really, it's not usually a problem unless the breasts are very, very big. But in a breast reconstruction, it depends what kind of breast surgery you needed for the cancer before. Right. So someone who's just perhaps had a lumpectomy may just need a nipple areola reconstruction. And then nowadays, there's been so many advances in breast cancer that we have nipple sparing mastectomies if it isn't involved in the tumor. And then you keep your nipple areola. And then there are times when you actually have to make a new nipple areola from scratch. Um, and, but that's difficult because of a blood supply. Um, you make a completely new nipple from a local flap and then an areola that can either be, you either take a full thick, like a very thick skin graft. And funny enough, it colors to the color of an areola. Okay. okay? Or what's, they do amazing 3D medical tattooing at the moment mm-hmm. of nipples and areolas. So, um, yes, it is more difficult and there's, with all operations, there are risks for complications, but it can be done. I think you, you can get some very nice results. Okay. So, medical treatment, um, I want to, I want us to go back there because I, I have a lot of guys that come in and, uh, want to, or have been put onto aromatase inhibitors and estrogen blockers by um, GPs, etc., etc. In my mind, that's not the greatest mm, treatment me. to do, mm. because as I said, we need estrogen mm. for uh, as protection against cardiovascular disease. It's responsible in the balancing of testosterone levels. Um, for me. Uh, this is something that's you you actually get more side effects from from medical treatment than than you would get from surgical treatment that's in my mind i didn't realize people were still doing using medical treatment it's something i read about in the textbooks but i've never personally been involved with anyone who'd been treated medically i didn't know they still did that you know what and with you saying that, um, you know, it, 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 it points to the fact that this is a dangerous and archaic form of medical no, I was just going to say, it's your 72-year-old GP that's been the family doctor forever. I mean, I'm being horrible. Oh, no. so, yeah, but, being horrible. But, but, you know, who might not have kept up and, and who thinks, well, okay, get rid of the estrogen, we'll get rid of the boobs. You know. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work. Mm, I'm sure. Um, the the effect of of estrogen blockers, I find in my patients, it would remove a little bit of sensitivity because that's what they present with. Um, aromatase inhibitors will will help with sensitivity of a breast tissue, but it doesn't take away the 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 look. Mm. Um, I've never been successful in trying to reverse gynecomastia with medical treatment. For me, it's a pure surgical procedure. Um, From what age can we start doing this? I would let growth be completed for a number of reasons. First of all, um, because a lot of them resolve on their own. Second of all, and you don't want to scar someone that's not necessary. Second of all, if the person's still growing and their breast mm. tissue is developing and you do the surgery, you can get a recurrence. So, and that's actually so sad because it's in that puberty and that high school years where you desperately want to fit in exactly. and you want to be one of the cool guys and you need to be one of the jocks. So to tell people to hold on and wait a little bit is often quite difficult. But I just think it's, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be winning if you ended up having to do the surgery over and over again. Um, so I don't think start too early with the surgery. Okay. When you say wait for growth to finish, after the age of 18 or after the age of 21? I don't know. I think it depends on the person and it depends on if they're still growing or if they've stopped growing. Mm. And that's where I'd take advice from someone like your clinic who would have a better handle of what was happening medically with that person. Mm. Mm. Um, 
Any and you also, sorry, you also need to be psychologically mature enough to cope with the surgery. Because it's not just... It's invasive. It's invasive. It's heavy. Mm. And you also have to make sure that in five years' time, because often if if you're the parent of an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, yes, they can sign consent, but think how much you changed between the age of 18 and the age of 22. One changes so much, you develop your personality, and then you don't want the 22-year-old to turn around to his parents and to say, how did you let me do this? This exactly. is crazy. Exactly. So it has to be really an informed, mature decision and also being able to cope with the post-surgical period afterwards. And, and the trauma. I and mean, the trauma. There is yeah. trauma, trauma yes. involved. Yes. Okay. So, Biff, let's stop there. Let's, let's talk about that. The surgery, is it difficult? If, if it's plain liposuction, it should be a little bit easier than if there's hard, lumpy breast tissue. It definitely is easier to get a result if there's pure fat tissue. Unfortunately for us, it's often not the case. I would say it's more often that you have these fibrous bands and it's often quite tough tissue. Um, But it's amazing how if you have enough, if you don't have a skin excess, what a good result you can get from liposuction, even though you may need to perform it more than once. And the patient needs to know that from the beginning. Right. How, when you... how far apart is this? So let's have a patient that's stopped growing, whose weight is stable and remains stable after surgery. What is the time frame in which uh, you will do the second or the third um, session of lipo? I would say that you've got to let it heal completely and they're looking at about six months between the procedures minimum. So it's it's interesting, you know, it um Last week we had Dr. Chris Neyman on and he, he said something that for me was blown my, blown my mind. And he said, a rhinoplasty is a two year procedure. Yeah, you wait two years before you revise it because it takes so long for that nasal tissue to settle down. Mm. Yeah. But you probably discussed that last week. So, and this is the same with, with breast, not that long, but if you, if, if it is uh, a lot of, of breast, tissue or fat tissue this is not a once of procedure and you know that process can take up to two years as well yes for a full for and a full treatment and sometimes what happens is that the patient goes to a doctor and has liposuction that you're never quite sure whether liposuction was the correct procedure in the first place sure. or whether the liposuction solve the problem to a degree and then they end up to have having to have a surgical procedure in the end anyway but it may be a lesser surgical procedure than maybe if they hadn't done the lipo first it's always so difficult when you presented with a patient that had liposuction at the local gp a year ago and um, isn't quite happy you're never quite sure what you know where we are with this but sometimes sometimes even with an attempt at liposuction you end up doing a small excision because often the fatty tissue tends to be more around the periphery and near where that nubbin is, that areola nubbin sometimes isn't a nubbin. And sometimes the only way to get rid of that last little bit is to actually go and excise it. Um, you, you touched on something that for me is quite dear to my heart and that's um, practitioners that perform treatments out of scope um, and this is a GP performing liposuction. I have to agree with you, and it's also the view of the association that that it's a it's a procedure that's performed by specialist surgeons. Um, um, but there are there are many GPs out there who are doing who are doing liposuction. Mm. It's a fact. Okay, we we spoke about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, probably with Debbie. With Debbie. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it is, GPs have certain skills. And yes, we all have a degree in surgery. Um, that, that's one of the things that makes us medical practitioners is that we can perform surgical, certain surgical procedures. Now, I, I had a love for obstetrics and gynecology and I've performed over a, a thousand, um, 
hysterectomy, is cesarean? Cesarean sections. I'm trying to read Mark's hand, <laughs> hand signals. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad he didn't do my cesarean <laughs> section. <laughs> it looked like you were painting in your yeah, master. What can I say? You know, I haven't had my testosterone this week. So, um, and, but you know what? I haven't done it now for 20 years. And if I, if I run through the procedure in my head, I know that there's certain things that I'm forgetting. Um, for, for a GP to randomly go in and do, um, liposuction, firstly, this is a surgical procedure. What makes it a surgical procedure for me is the fact that there's so many complications that can happen intraoperatively. Yes, and it's invasive, um, totally invasive. And how do we, how do we stop this? It's quite interesting that you bring this up. So the reason that they've been able to do this is that, you know, our health professions council has written rules and ethical rules that were written like, before aesthetic medicine, I think, was invented. And that's where, where we have a backlog. We have a yeah. backlog with legislation versus what's happening. So there's a clause that roughly says, and I'm not going to try and say it legally, that if you can imagine that 50 years ago, the GP in a small town um, did everything. Because if your appendix ruptured, in that small town, the patient would be dead before the patient got to a big town where there was a surgeon. Yes. Similarly, a woman who went into labor and had a problem needed to have a cesarean section. So that clause or law was to protect, to allow those people to do those procedures because they needed to be done. And that's almost the loophole that people use to do things that are out of their scope of practice. And, um, um, the Association of Plastic Surgeons have formed a subcommittee where we've, we're positively engaging with the Health Professions Council at the moment in the hopes of having that bylaw changed so that perhaps we could get a handle on this. I thought that mm. the Health Professions Council legislation said that liposuction in any hybrid form thereof can only be, be performed by a qualified surgeon. They did say that. But they don't uphold the law, and they've got because of this law of of being able to do something in a, that was instituted for a small town. What will happen is you'll get Doctor X, who's been performing liposuction for fifteen years, and then maybe now in order to get the only person that can take you to the health professions council is actually a patient. So yes. the patient then takes Doctor X to the health professions council, and there's an investigation. And then the health professions council goes, "What are your qualifications?" And the doctor said, "I did a weekend course in Vegas, and I did a course in Milan, and I did and presents with a, ris- a list of not really accredited courses." And they go, "Fantastic!" And tell me how many procedures have you performed? And he says, "Well, I've done ten thousand liposuctions." And then he goes, "Okay." And then the council goes, "Okay, well, you've done the course." You've got the experience, and then not much happens. Right. So we really are trying to work on this because it's a very sore point amongst the plastic surgery fraternity. And I must say that AMSA, of which Dr. Norville is the president, is also very much committed to actually trying to sort this out. Yeah, you know, it, for for us, um, ethical, and we speak about this basically in every show, um, ethical practice is so important. Mm. Um, and choosing an ethical practice that can be accountable or who is accountable for complications and results um, is incredibly important. You and, know al- and also that the procedures are performed in a licensed facility and not in your converted house. Absolutely. And what Mark always says is that you're able to mit- mitigate any thing that comes up so you're able to sort out anything that goes wrong yeah and i mean if 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 you are in the second bedroom <laughs> of your house you know you're not going to have all the equipment to recess and do all of that sort of thing per se available yeah you'd be amazing what people have set up as non-registered no, facilities sure. you'd be amazing they've got everything no and, sure yeah but, but it, then it, there's it, also those that don't so for sure for yeah. sure so it's okay. a sore point um and I've got the deepest respect for aesthetic GPs with an interest in aesthetic medicine. Um, but I really think that liposuction is where they cross the line. And I know their association is in full agreement with us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so 
I want to finish off on gynecomastia, but before you do that, before we do that, I, I quickly want to um, go to aesthetic practitioners. Um, would aesthetic practitioners be able to help post-surgically? I suppose they could help post-surgically, although us old-school surgeons are told that it's your patient and the responsibility for the aftercare rests with you, and I'm certainly very strict about that. But there are modalities that <clears throat> some surgeons don't have that might help after surgery. If we look at radio frequency, at some of the – I'm trying not to use a trade device and I'm sitting on the – on uh, sure. like some sort of skin-tightening device or some sort of cellulite-type treatment smoothing roller action machinery – Wow! <laughs> yeah, but I haven't. I haven't used. I haven't said no, the, you two haven't. Common, uh, the two common. The two common because you're not supposed to use trade names. No, but, but there well are mechanical, mechanical <laughs> things. So yes, that would definitely enhance the results. And I often suggest my liposuction patients to go and have treatments like that. Some surgeons have them in their offices. I. It's just not core business, and it's not something. But I have a few trusted colleagues that I do send my patients to. Good. Okay. Scars and stuff, I can treat myself. I can do the aftercare. But there are there are people who would be able to help. Well, so there's the definitely a, it's definitely the role. There is a role for them. Mm. Keloid formation. Ah, yes. In our in uh, mostly ethnic patients. Yes. Um, our black patients. Um, I think they often present with keloid formation. Is there a bigger risk with gynecomastia and keloid formation? I think um, anywhere where you make scars, there's a risk of keloid formation. But unfortunately, the chest area is one of the high-risk areas. So, in a darker skin patient, one would look have to, one would want to look at their previous scars, and one would want to ask them if there was a family history of keloid. Mm. And if there was, I mean, we always go for the for the shortest scar possible to get the job done. But you would then try to hide the scars. But I think as much, it is a high-risk area. And keloid is definitely something we ask about in a history for any surgical patient. Sure. And then there are things that you can do intraoperatively to perhaps like injecting the, the area with steroid before you suture it. Um, if the patient's a known patient with keloids, um, you can book them for radiotherapy, which sounds scary. I know it's a cancer treatment, but it's actually the rays go just into the scar tissue, into the particular cells called fibroblasts, which are the cells that over so keloids form because you have an overactivity of a certain type of cell that forms a scar. Right. So to put it very simplistically, if I were to cut myself, my body would institute a healing process and eventually the cut on my hand, whether I had it sutured or whether I just put a plaster on, would heal. And at some point my body would know that it would heal and it would stop the healing process. And this doesn't switch off in a keloid patient. Right. Okay. And that's why you have to play all sorts of tricks on those naughty fibroblasts to get them to behave. An interesting thing is, Viv, I don't know whether you've used uh, toxin combined with steroids in treatment of keloid scars. No, I haven't used toxin with steroids. I've used steroids, and I've read a very interesting paper and tried on one patient using one of the um, anti-cancer um Topical applications and one uses for skin, for skin lesions with, derm, with a needling device, um, and steroid injections to improve keloids. And I've done two patients and had very nice results. Okay. Good, well, good we'll news. talk about that at some point. We'll bring you back specifically for that because, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Before we close, I have one quick question. <laughs> one quick question. Let's turn this on its head. What about pectoral implants? They get done in this country. They are they often get done by plastic surgeons <clears throat> who also do a lot of gym, so they understand what's exactly the aesthetic requirements, what needs to be done, how to put them in. Right. It's not something I have a lot of experience in. Okay. And they often go to male doctors, and they often go to their similar gym bunny male doctors. Yeah. How's it, but I need tits <laughs> or pecs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. No, listen. I, I can talk gym. I can. Okay, talk I can gym. see you can talk gym. It's quite cool. It's yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but to to recap, um, gynecomastia can start at any age, usually in in in. Slightly overweight men, I want to say. Boys, um, I find 
it more prevalent in um, ethnic and darker skin patients, even Mediterranean patients, um, that, and a lot in my Indian patients. I see it quite often in Indian patients. Um, treatment, you know, but predominantly surgical. Do you agree? Yes, I think so. Okay. How do we... How do we choose the correct surgeon? So we know that with you, with APRASA, you know, at certain groups of surgeons that do rhinoplasties or, um, liposuction specialists, you know, is there something that, uh, we can go and look at for who is a specialist for gynecomastia in certain areas. For instance, in the Cape, we know you in Pretoria. Um, I don't really know anyone in Johannesburg that specializes in male gynecomastia. I think you, you've a resident specialist as far as I know. Um, Natel, et cetera, et cetera. How do we go about finding those people? It's quite interesting because it's actually a procedure that most plastic surgeons would be able to perform. Obviously, all of us like to do what we do often and we're good at what we do often. So for instance if a patient were to call with a complex rhinoplasty I would send it to Chris because Chris has the experience. Now most of my ethical colleagues if they didn't do a lot of gynecomastia surgery would say hey I'm sorry I don't think you're in the right place can I send you to Dr. X, Dr. Y. But we don't have like a list somewhere of like I prefer to do this, you prefer to do that but none of us that are responsible and I really believe 99 9,9% of us are Are going to tackle something we don't feel comfortable with Or we feel that it's complex Or we feel that or we don't have an interest in um, So I think if you start off um, On the APRASA website You can actually go and find a surgeon by region And then if you were to Phone someone in your area It's always better to have a recommendation From someone who's I know we're in the social media age Where everybody's on social media But really your best recommendation Is your old school word friend of Word of mouth recommendation And even that word of mouth recommendation Possibly doesn't do um, Gynecomastia They would probably be able to Recommend someone to send them to Send okay. you to Okay um, Viv, Thank you very much for joining us How do we get hold of you? Um, a website? A website. It's plasticsurgerypretoria.co.za. And otherwise, I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook as Dr. Vivian Jandera, plastic surgeon. And, and all my details are on there. Okay. So, otherwise, contact us at the T Clinic and we'll and put absolutely. you onto Dr. Jandera's. And otherwise, practice. on the APRASA website, all the plastic surgeons are listed with their names and their numbers. So, you'd be able to find someone in your area. Okay. Perfect. Thank you very much. Viv, thank you for joining us. Thank you us. very much, and thanks for inviting me. It's been wonderful. Next week we're talking PrEP. Oh, PRP. PRP. Yeah, no, PREP. Yes. We're talking about uh, prophylaxis um, for, for HIV. HIV. So thank you, Vivian. It's been amazing. Thank you, Mark. We'll see you next week. This has been the T-Health Show with Dr. Mark and Chris Haven-Smith, sponsored by the T-Clinic. For more information, contact admin at thetclinic.com.